Hello, it's Tuesday the 6th of February. I'm Alex von Tunzelman and Piers Morgan couldn't make me bet £1,000 on anything. Welcome back to Paper Cuts, the modern newspaper review. Every day we sort through the British press, picking out all the best bits to bring you all the day's top news and talking points in one go. Before we get into the show, a little reminder that you can help keep us going by joining the Paper Cuts Supporters Club. We've built Paper Cuts independently with the help of our brilliant supporters. No big money behind us and no billionaire moguls pushing their own agendas. From just three quid a month, you can help us keep going and keep getting all the news that's fit to print, and quite a lot that isn't. It costs less than one coffee a month, and unlike coffee, it doesn't give me a migraine. There's a link in the show notes. Now, here are the headlines for today's show. So there's really only one story the press is talking about today. Buckingham Palace announces that King Charles III is undergoing treatment for cancer. Gruesome twosome, Prime Minister Rishi Sunak sits down for a whole hour with Piers Morgan. And have you ever been to a harvester before? Greg Wallace's daily routine goes viral. Welcome to Paper Cuts. We read the papers so you don't have to. Thanks for joining us on Paper Cuts, where we never take a day off. Well, apart from weekends. I'm Alex von Tanzelman, and with me today is Podmasters Grand Fromage Jacob Jarvis. Hello, Jarv. Good morning. And also with me is comedian and one of your five a day, Matt Green. Hello, Hello. Matt. <laughs> Hello. So the front pages today are pretty much all about one thing, which is the King's story. But let's take a look at how they've covered it. Jarv, you've got the broadsheets. Yeah, so first up, we've got the, the Daily Telegraph, which has a, a massive picture of King Charles and then just the quite stark King has cancer. And it's got a, a little bit of a side headline saying all engagements have been cancelled. King says he is as optimistic as can be. Type of cancer has not been revealed. Diagnosis follows prostate surgery. The Times then has the also a quite stark headline and a big picture of King Charles. The King has cancer. Uh, Palace saying Charles is wholly positive. William is apparently going to take on more commitments. And they also note how Harry will fly back to see his father. Mm, almost identical front pages there from yeah. the Times and Telegraph. And then the, the Guardian doesn't have a picture of Charles. In fact, it has a picture of Lucy Dacus, Taylor Swift and Phoebe Bridges at the Grammy Awards in LA. So a little bit different there. But main headline still, King Charles diagnosed with cancer, Palace says there on the the front page of The Guardian. And then the eye, King Charles diagnosed with cancer. So yeah, it's pretty much a a clean sweep across the papers today on what what the focus has been shifted to after that announcement late yesterday evening. And Matt, uh, tabloids, probably a similar story. Tabloids have gone with very similar um, story, although all doing it in a slightly different way. Um, the Mail is gone with King's Cancer Bombshell. Count Charles is so grateful they caught it early. Uh, he's hugely positive about health battle. And again, talking about Harry flying in. Uh, the Sun has gone with King. I have cancer. Pretty straightforward. Uh, the Mirror also. Uh, King's Cancer Shock. Uh, and the Daily Star have gone with, um, I think, the slightly weirdest headline of the day, which is, King Chaz, I have cancer. I don't think I've ever heard him described as Chaz before, certainly not in a headline. No. I don't really understand why the star thought they needed to put Chaz. Yes, they could just put King. Yeah, or um, King Charles. Or the, Charles, the, yeah. The space. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but yeah, pretty much, uh, as as, uh, as Jarl said, uh, very much a clean sweep. Now, yesterday, Buckingham Palace announced that the King is undergoing treatment for cancer. I'm sure we all wish him very well. As media watchers, though, this story interests us because the reaction of the press today is quite something. The palace is usually discreet on matters of royal health, but with the King today, they seem to have taken a bit of a different tack. We were told recently that His Majesty was being treated for an enlarged prostate, and now we're being told that he has an unrelated cancer. Jarv, they haven't gone into detail about what type of cancer he has or anything like that. But even so, does this signify a new openness in how the royals are interacting with the media? 
It is slightly different to the past. When Charles went in and had the the issue surrounding his prostate, it was reported that he'd said he wanted that to be made public so he would encourage other men to go and have their prostates checked and these sort of things to be spotted. And it would appear that him having gone and had that check has led to other aspects of his health being investigated, which has unfortunately led to this cancer diagnosis. But the the positive side there being that it has been diagnosed at this at this point rather than being left to to linger. Strangely, we still don't really know very much though in terms of it being completely open. The all royal communication is very closely guarded, really. So this thing, the the royal rotor. So when it comes to events, one person will be sent along, and then they have to share everything. And most of what they share is generally in quite positive light as they're making this bargain of, well, can I come along to your to your events? Mm. And so then, journalists uh, who don't play ball. Kind yeah, of if don't you don't play ball, back. you couldn't really be in the Royal Rotor. It wouldn't make sense. It would be a bit strange for for everyone. And then all of this has come through palace communications, which again are quite quite closely guarded. But it's a little bit different to the the line that they used to be of never complain, never explain in the past, and they would not really dig into anything whatsoever. And yeah, it's a it's a slightly unusual situation compared to to previous monarchs. I think it's worth saying as well that, you know, um, there is that sort of, as you say, the sense that in the past there hasn't been a huge amount of openness about the sort of illnesses that royals have had and so on. You can sort of understand why, right? You know, they don't necessarily want kind of ambulance watchers hanging around and, you know, when they're in a vulnerable situation, nobody wants to be looked at very closely. But there is a bit of a shift here, but also it's worth saying that, you know, it's unclear actually whether they've how early they've caught this. They haven't released any information about that. But actually, most cancers these days are pretty treatable if they if they are caught early. Um, it's not necessarily um, a situation where there needs to be a kind of incredibly bleak take on this. We you know the statement from the palace is actually very optimistic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. At the moment, it's sort of quite straightforward. Although the papers have gone into this sort of overdrive of the Daily Mail, for example, going into this. In these turbulent, anxiety-inducing times, this is a shock and blow for us all. Get well soon, Your Majesty. Your country needs you. As you say, this the statement at the moment is thankfully not massively bleak. And let's hope this isn't a massively bleak situation. But from the way it's been reported in the papers, it does get this uber high-attention focus, which actually would make you feel like it is an incredibly worrying situation. And it's what happens quite a lot with papers like the Daily Mail is this don't be worried about this thing that we're making sound really, really worrying. Because <laughs> here's, here's 11 yeah. pages of worry about <laughs> yeah, it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there is an awful lot of newsprint to fill this morning, isn't there, Matt? Like, the, you know, I mean, and in a sense, I mean, this news was announced yesterday, what, about 6pm. Mm. Um, these columnists must have gone hell for leather yesterday to churn out so many words in time for print deadlines and read them today. And some of them were online very quickly. Like, I'm, mm. I saw the Sarah Vine column that Java was just referencing very quickly after uh, it was announced. So it almost felt like as soon as the announcement happened, she started writing that. Um, uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, I mean, on the front page of The Telegraph, we've got Simon Heffer, a classic Telegraph columnist. The, the headline just sort of sums up the piece, really. Knowing he has the support of his people will strengthen his spirits. A real sort of sense of the whole country is behind him. Um, it will come as a profound shock to his people uh, is the first line in it. Um, and uh, it's it sort of got that slight sense that... Um, the, yeah, the, the the whole country is sort of now holding its breath for, for King Charles, which I'm not, you know, I don't know whether that represents uh, everybody or not in the, mm. in the uh, I think it's fair to say. But then the rest of the column goes on about talking about 
all of the various different um, illnesses and accidents and let's face it, deaths that have happened uh, to monarchs um, going from Queen Victoria uh, through to all the various different kings. And it goes on to page five. So there's a lot of detail to get into. <laughs> I mean, it's something almost heroic about churning out 2,000 words on this when we have so little information, actually. Yeah. To go on. I mean, literally just um, uh, on the radio this morning, um, Rishi Sunak said something about it was caught early, which has now become a new headline of was it caught early? Was, did he, was that a slip of the tongue or... Is that information that has been told to him but wasn't released before? So presumably as the day or the week goes on, we'll find out a little bit more about that. So it does feel like, yeah, every single little moment, every single little detail is going to get jumped on. In the same way that when you have an illness in the family, that happens with doctors, that when you talk to a doctor and they just offhand say something, that becomes... Oh, that's what they said. And, that, and and then you sort of go off and Google it. And I remember that when my mum was ill a few years ago, everything the doctor says becomes sort of like incredibly important. You go back and you work out what they actually meant and all that kind of stuff. So we're going to be seeing that on a sort of grand scale. Yeah, I think that's another reason this story spreads and can get so much attention is because of it being relatable in that way. People can imagine having a family member in this situation or might have had. But what I do find really strange about that, though, is... That piece you mentioned in the Telegraph and the Daily Mail coverage, it's this almost this faux tastefulness, this fake tastefulness. They're going, oh, we're being really, really respectful here and everyone has to be really respectful. Read our 12 pages yeah. of coverage we put together in an hour yesterday and stuff. Will William and Harry finally be reconciled? He waited so long to be king, now this. They are using this to sell papers. Oh, Regardless gosh, of where they're also yeah. being, oh, but we, you know, we're being massively respectful to the king it's there's very there's a lot of hypocrisies wrapped up in this media coverage as well definitely and i think the the sarah vine article is a good example of that that it opens with her impressions of what the king looked like last week with this sort of sense of she had had a premonition that he was ill you know that um perhaps it was just my impression but he seemed to have lost weight his trademark coat was a little loose on him, his face pale and drawn. Was he just taking a bit of time to recover? Or was there something more? This sort of sense of, you know, mm. the royal watching, you know, literally watching the bodies of the of the royal family is, you know, that's the thing that's been going on for centuries. It's quite medieval, it isn't is it? It is quite medieval I mean, almost, you know. Yeah. And, and so this sense that, and, and, and so much of it's in hindsight, because he probably... You know, it was just a bit cold or something, but that uh, now it now it's all seen through that lens. It does feel a little bit vulturey, doesn't it? And I mean, Jav, you just mentioned. I mean, of course, the big storyline that is immediately they're all trying to construct is Prince Harry. So, you know, and these are papers who, of course, let's not forget, have spent years absolutely demonising Prince Harry. Um, you know, whatever the rights and wrongs of that situation and however insufferable he might be, they've obviously cast him as a villain, particularly his wife as a villain, Duchess of Sussex. Um, and of course, these papers you want to go back forty years, you can see. Them demonizing Charles and Camilla, who today are being held up as these, you know, great back sort of sovereign. Back you know, back, yeah. you can keep going back. Uh, suddenly, they're our national identity. Clearly, the papers are absolutely rooting, aren't they, for a heartrending reunion between Harry and the King? You know, if he comes back and there's some sort of big embrace, that's what they're trying to set up. But it is a kind of fantastical storyline, isn't it? I mean, these people are going through something. You know, yeah. I think the press are desperate for this reunion. I think the royal family need it. I think mm. they're, you know, quite literally running out of sort of senior royals at the moment, that if Charles is stepping back, we've now got um, Prince William is sort of the main senior royal, it seems, and his wife is is ill and recovering, and Prince Andrew is sort of persona non grata, oh, yeah. and so we're sort of running out of these senior royals to be able to do big events. So they desperately need Harry and Meghan's sort of star power 
um, mm. back into the royal family. So it mm. feels like maybe there's an opportunity, maybe there's too much water gone under the bridge, but it'll be interesting to see. Now, while I'm sure he also wishes the king well, Prime Minister Rishi Sunak might be grateful that yesterday's news has overshadowed what he's been up to. Jav, what happened yesterday with the Prime Minister? An interview between him and Piers Morgan came out and it was a a classic case of Rishi Sunak making himself look like a bit of a wanker on television. (laughs) As seems to be a recurring storyline for his life and for this podcast. So the whole tone of the interview was quite strange in that Piers Morgan felt very, very, very in control of it. And Mm. there's a lot of, there's a sort of cut montage when you watch it on YouTube of just Sunak pulling quite uncomfortable faces and sort of smiling and <laughs> that looks a bit like a grimace, almost like that Ron DeSantis smile that went viral. He's also He also does looks to camera a few yeah. times. There are a few almost like almost like The Office or something where he sort of looks to camera and goes, oh, God. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, no, I've done this wrong. You know, yeah, and yeah. It, it just has a very... And I think that's just, again, it, it, he's just not very experienced at that no. sort of thing that you it's quite hard sometimes not to look at camera but you've got to train yourself not to <laughs> and he sure. hasn't worked that out well he makes these kind of uh, these pacts with these people who he imagines will give interviews that allow him to boost himself and then lo and behold doesn't work out for him so why this hasn't worked out for him the main thing being is that Piers Morgan said to him I bet you a thousand pounds that flights with uh refugees on going to Rwanda will not take off before the next election. A fairly crass bet to be Mm. made. Rishi Sunak shook his hand on it. It was kind of vague around saying, I'll take that bet. But he he shook his hand and went, well, I want that to happen. I want the, the flights to go off. And I think this would have been, had a whole lot more focus if then the King Charles news hadn't happened Afterwards, but there's been a whole load of discourse around this on Twitter, as there is anything. But where I will slightly maybe defend Piers Morgan here, actually, a lot of people don't want to, is I I think the point of his interviews generally quite often are to draw out the character of the person he is interviewing. I think this bet, whilst, yeah, not maybe necessarily reflecting very well on Piers Morgan suggesting it be made, but it says a whole lot more about Rishi Sunak. And I actually think in this context is more important. Rishi Sunak could have taken a pause and taken a stock and gone, I think that's a little bit inappropriate to bet on. This is people's lives we're talking about. This is a serious situation. And he just, to me, looked very, very weak. And like he will, his moral compass can be swayed by whoever he's speaking to. The Eye has done a fairly large piece on this. And then John Crace has done a sketch saying, uh, Rishi meets Piers, a political interview sinks under the weight of two colossal egos. And I certainly (laughs) think, yeah, it showed the kind of ego between them both. And Sunak's just ability to not be very good at politics and to not realise as well, he's now he's made this bet. At some point, it will come up that he has to pay the bet either way. And I think him being given a £1,000 by Piers Morgan is quite Mm. an uncomfortable thing for him to have to do, to sort of have to meet up with Piers Morgan and take that £1,000. And then... What will he do? Say, oh, I'm going to actually give this thousand pounds to charity, and everyone will go, "It's a thousand quid. You don't give a fuck about a thousand quid." Yeah. Or at some point, Piers Morgan will be on talk TV or on social media, going, 
Rishi Sunak, where's my thousand pounds? And Rishi and, will have just lost an election. So yeah, it's yeah. A, you know, exactly. It's well, just, he'll be on a it's, it's very embarrassing. California won't yeah. hear that yeah. point, let's be honest. I mean, but it is, uh, Matt, it was a real steamrolling, wasn't it? I mean, Piers Morgan went in, was just in total control of that room. And I mean, I, I'm sure the Prime Minister probably picked this. I mean, it's a whole hour. I mean, that's a long time for a Prime Minister to go into on Talk TV, which is a very, very minor channel, mm. Rupert Murdoch owned, but not one of the majors, not BBC, not ITV, not mm. anything like that. That anyone actually watches. I mean, what is he thinking doing this? I, I mean, uh, Quentin Letts um, wrote in the Mail that uh, uh, Piers Morgan sat before his interviewee Rishi Sunak like a cuckoo sharing a wren's nest. <laughs> and I don't totally understand that, but there's something yeah. about you know a big bird and a small bird. I think is what he was getting at. And that, yeah, as you say, that Piers Morgan was dominating the room. He was very much the alpha in that room. It reminded me of interviews with Trump, with Johnson, where the interviewer kind of becomes their friend and then or tries to sort of become their friend and then catches them out by just sort of jollying them into something that they yeah. would never have done. I mean the mirror's got a quite a good headline on it I think which is a um, flutter madness. Oh. Which yes. I think which I think is nice and also another part of it which is interesting is that um it happens right at the end of the interview. So it's an hour interview right, the and bet. It, it, the bet happens right at the end and clearly I think Rishi Sunak was kind of in that He'd spent an hour with this guy. He was sort of, he was being quite jolly with him. If you watch the rest of the interview, there's a lot of times where he says, well, I think you did a good job on this or well done on this, yeah. Prime Minister. And so he's clearly sort of ingratiating himself and then comes in with this sort of sucker punch at the end. And I think he was just totally blindsided by it. He said, I was a bit surprised by it. But you think that's, you can't do that. <laughs> You're Prime, You're a prime Minister. minister. <laughs> you well, yeah, his defence on, on the radio this morning, wasn't it? It was put to him, this is a bit crass and a bit tasteless. And he goes, oh, well, it just, I'm not really a betting man. And it came yeah. at surprise. Why couldn't you just say in that moment, I'm not really a betting man? Yeah. Being, you know, being not a betting man is one thing. But as I think the key thing is the amount of money because he he didn't say, I'll bet you a tenner. He said a thousand pounds. And I think any politician with any experiences, p political brain would go off, you know, alarm would go off. That's a lot of money. Yeah. A thousand pounds is a lot of money. So I've got to be careful what I say about this. I can't just be throwing that amount of money around yeah. and just saying, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, I'll take the bet. Like that's clearly a mad thing exactly. to do. Exactly. I mean, but, the uh, very least you'd go in with, okay, there's a cost of living crisis yeah. at the moment. I think that's a lot of money for a lot of people. But of course, for Rishi Sunak, I mean, he probably, he wipes his bum on thousand pound notes. I was just thinking he? this morning that um, Rishi Sunak got surprised by a handshake. Boris Johnson got ambushed by a cake. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we're putting the best people in charge. Now to the headlines of the day, because whatever the news, you can rely on the papers to keep on punning. What have you got for us today, Jav? I've got a story on page 11 of the Sun, which I will admit straight away, I totally don't understand completely, <laughs> to be honest. So I'm just going to read it all. Uh, it's it's a little nib, but it's with a big picture of Cara Delevingne. And so the story is it's green fur go for Cara Delevingne as she prepares for her West End stage debut next month. So the model actress is going to be playing Sally Bowles in Cabaret at the Kit Kat Club. She said there are no words to explain my excitement, which I quite like. They are words to explain it. <laughs> Whenever anyone says that, they're like, not literally words. used words. Yeah, yeah exactly. Words. They are yep. words. But the, the headline there is, life is a Cararay, old chum. Cararay. Cararay. Cararay, yes. Life is a Cararay, old chum. So if you yeah. pronounce her name wrong, yeah, <laughs> it, it works. And you sort of, sort of yeah, sing the, the headline. <laughs> you have to know the song and you have to uh, embrace the poetic license of sub-editors. <laughs> Two things which I don't totally. Then the, the next one I have is 18, page 18 in the sun. Beyonce apparently was mortified when her husband Jay-Z criticised the Grammy Awards on stage for never giving her the album of the year prize. Ooh. So... Uh, 
Bay in Jay Z's bonnet. He B. slams. Come on, surely B. B. Bay. Yeah, B. Bay. It's it's spelled like Bay though, like Beyonce. Yeah, but they do that with like but, the yeah. Beehive and all Again, of that. Her you, fans. You, you're too forgiving of the poetic <laughs> license of subs. But yeah, well, it's B. like a, not a visual B. pun, but it is a. I think. I mean, to be fair, you, you would say it B. Because they all, you know, it's your girl B. It's My all B. that's how they talk about it. And the yeah. Beehive is her fans and all of that. So. Oh, okay, is it? So, I yeah, yeah. No, no, so, I, I reckon they down there. You just have to know about Beyonce. Yeah. Yeah, which I, sorry. She don't. Okay. Matt, how about you? What have you got for us? So, I've got uh, two from the star. So, initially, uh, first one, quite a serious story for the star in a way. Um, boffins want to build giant underwater barriers in front of ice sheets to prevent the planet from flooding. Right. So it's a big um, sort of project to try to stop um, global warming having such a bad impact. But you can see why they've gone with the story because the headline is, it'll be curtains without curtains. Oh. Because they're underwater curtains. 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 Barrier. barrier. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Not bad. Not bad. And this is a story about how sharing a bed with your dog has some, and there's a pun in the first line, which is always fun, has pawsome benefits. Oh, Awesome. As long as you're both clean, an animal boffin has confirmed. So it's another boffin. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's just it's just all boffins in the star all the time. The that's star. Just... I think the star might just have a separate like a unit of boffins that yeah. they that, that's who they go to. Uh, but I could, I do quite like the headline, which is rough night. Oh, R- rough, 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 rough night. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, and finally, in the mirror, this this jumped out at me. Um, <laughs> this headline. <laughs> It's it's a story about how a donkey has recovered from a life-threatening condition after being given 24 litres of fizzy drink. And the headline is, Vets treated ass pain with litres of cola. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're, you don't really need to know the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's just the headline. The, the story's quite disappointing after yeah. the headline, that's the problem. Because <laughs> initially I was like, wow, who's got... Oh, it's, uh, it's a donkey. It's a donkey. It's a donkey. Which literally no one calls an ass. But it's what's quite donkey. sweet about it is <laughs> this donkey was given six litres of a day of Coca-Cola up a tube up his nose at the Donkey Sanctuary in Devon, which does make me wonder what those charity donations are going to. <laughs> oh, God, like waterboarding donkeys. Yeah. Um, he had some sort of food blockage in his stomach um, and it cleared the blockage because the vet, <laughs> the quote is, the cola acted like a drain cleaner. <laughs> oh, my God. Which is not the best donkey. advert for Coke I've ever heard. Yeah, God, go easy on that stuff, kids. Don't do Coke. I'm Ross Taylor with news of Oh God, What Now? The politics podcast that's never going to leave its voter ID at home. On Friday's show, it's six months until the US election and Donald Trump is stuck sitting on trial in a New York courthouse. Is he bulletproof or can Joe Biden turn around the polls? In the second half, it's local elections week, but we've steadily taken power away from local authorities. What if we gave it back? And in the extra bit for supporters, is there a right level of ruthlessness in politics? That's Oh God, What Now? with me, Ros Taylor, Raphael Baer, Hannah Fern, guest Nikki McCann-Ramirez, out now, wherever you get your podcasts. Now, amid the whirl of news today, there are still people in the features sections worrying about things like gardening and their waistlines. Let's kick back for a bit and take a look at them. And today we have one of those perennially popular celebrity daily routine pieces from the Daily Telegraph. This one has gone viral. It's about Master Chef Supremo and satirical cannibal Greg Wallace. Matt, what happens in his day? What doesn't happen in Greg Wallace's day? Um, I mean, it's gone viral for very good reason because it's the most Alan Partridge thing <laughs> I think anybody's read for a very long time. 
Um, it's a classic. Gets up early. He reads. Uh, yeah, quite serious. Fiction. Quite serious fiction. A gentleman in Moscow. Then he makes coffee. <laughs> then he then there's a little plug for his uh, health website. He works out five days a week at seven a.m. He says, "I'm down at the gym half an hour before it opens." Oh, they let me in earlier, so oh. I have a swim and a sauna by myself, which just gives this image of Greg Wallace just floating through life. <laughs> and then ten thirty, he meets his PA Helen at the local harvester. Again, the most Alan Partridge thing it's possible to say. People say, people say, I didn't expect to see you in here. Look, they do grilled chicken. There's a salad bar and I've never been disappointed. It's all about expectation when it comes to food. Um, wow. I don't think people ever do say that to him. No, I think that's in his no. brain. Why shouldn't he be in a harvester? That's fine. Yeah. You're allowed. Yeah. Um, and it goes on and on. There's all sorts of stuff about him having lunch, spending time with his child, which has been quite controversial. We might come mm. back to that. Um, possibly my favourite line in it is 3pm. Um, I'm an amateur historian. I spend two hours by myself in my home office playing Total War Saga, Thrones of Britannia, set in 878 <laughs> AD. Now, that I think is the perfect example of a non sequitur. <laughs> I'm an amateur historian and I play a computer game about history. That that isn't those don't connect. Like, I'm a professional historian. I play four hours of Britannia Total War Saga every day. That's that's what we do. I'm an amateur ornithologist. I spend two hours playing Angry Birds every day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Jov. This goes a bit dark, doesn't it, this story? And this is probably why it's gone viral, because you've got this very Alan Partridge tone. And actually, I was kind of reading it thinking, look, he's, this is on purpose, right? It's a wind-up, it's yeah. a parody. And then there's the kind of bit about his kid, which is a bit weird. Well, the, the thing with his son is he, he says, basically, I, I'm a much better father now I'm older, although another child isn't something that I would have chosen at my age. I was always very honest with Anna, but it's what she wanted, and I love her. That, combined with him then saying... Basically, he spends more time playing Total War Saga than he does. So, one thirty p.m. I like to spend time with my four-year-old son Sid, who's non-verbal autistic. He used to be in his own world, but he's starting to seek company and show eye contact. Potter in the garden and play with our two dogs, Wally and Bella. Then he says the line, "I'm a much better father now, but I wouldn't have chosen to be a father again at this oh, at this age." It's a bit of an oof. And then it's yeah, it's basically so that's one thirty till three p.m. 3 p.m. He talks about playing Total War Saga, Thrones of Britannia. That's two hours. hours. That's it. Well, he says yeah, he spends hours, two hours, yeah. but there isn't another update till six. So he also so he even allows time. room in case it creeps over yeah. for three hours, so double the time he spends with his uh, with his son. But I, I, this whole thing is just I amazing, mean, isn't it? Because the first, literally the first bullet point, the 5 a.m has the components of what you would expect to be hilarious across a whole piece of this. Mm. It's got the, I wake up at the same time every morning, which is a ludicrous time. Yeah. Mm. I read for an hour. Not only do I read for an hour, I read A Gentleman in Moscow by Amartal. So it's this sort of, I read densely for an hour. Then just a coffee and check the emails. And here's a plug. That's in one, yeah. it's one set, it's two sentences, has all the gold you I'm would also, want from one of these pieces. I'm also going to point out that there's time missing in this. because <laughs> there keeps Look, because it's like 5am, I, I, I wake up and I read for an hour. Next one's 7am, where did that hour go? Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe that's the hour he spends looking at the sign-up numbers on his website. It and presumably takes a long time. Mm. Um, and there just keep being little moments where you're like, what happened between three and six? Because you only said you, worked for t you, you played for two hours and you've left yourself a gap. At six, look, he talks about, I cook dinner for the family once a week. Mm. who cooks for the rest of the week. You know, I'm beginning to feel a bit sorry for the wife. I, ha I actually had missed this until just this, just this moment. 8pm, bed. I've tried sitting on the sofa eating biscuits, but I don't find it fulfilling. 
<laughs> like, as though that is like a thing that people say. Most like, people think it's, it's the most fulfilling thing in the world, just yeah. sitting on the sofa eating biscuits. As though he's going, guys, I've seen the truth. Also like, with this, he says, we read or watch a film on my laptop. I'm normally asleep by nine. So this also reveals he's one of them annoying people who puts on a film and then of his choice and doesn't watch it. Yeah. yeah. On his laptop. If I had a partner who made me watch a film on the laptop, which automatically I'm like, this is terrible film watching Already, etiquette already and you're going to fall asleep after an hour yeah already doesn't want to eat biscuits no it and if his, uh, if his book choice chimes with his film choice too he's putting something really fucking dense on it yeah right we're going to do Requiem asleep. for a Dream right I'm <laughs> yeah. out <laughs> yeah I'm asleep now <laughs> <laughs> And that's the end of today's Paper Cuts. Thanks to Jacob Jarvis. Thank you. Thanks to Matt Green. Thank you. Don't forget about the Paper Cuts Supporters Club. Just three quid a month for all this and more. Head over to back.papercutsshow.com and follow the link in the show notes. I've been Alex von Tunzelman and you've been listening to Paper Cuts on a day when boffins have revealed that an extract of trout testicles can cure baldness. Sounds a bit fishy to me. See you tomorrow. Papercuts was written and presented by Alex von Tunzelman with Jacob Jarvis and Matt Green. It was produced by Liam Tate and Adam Wright. Audio production from me, Robin Lieber. Music by Simon Williams. Socials by Jess Harpin and Kieran Leslie. Designed by Jim Parrott. And original art by Modern Toss. Papercuts is a Podmasters production. The managing editor is Jacob Jarvis. Group editor, Andrew Harrison. And executive producer, Martin Boytosh. 